Hello, and welcome to the Two Strangers, One NFT podcast. I'm your co-host, Quesarito. And I'm Omega. How are you doing today, Omega? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. I'm very well. I'm going on holiday tomorrow for a few days. Nice. So, uh, I'm winding down. Heck yeah, that's good news. That's always yeah. fun. Yeah. Going to uh, rainy Amsterdam. The weather does not look good. Oh, Amsterdam sounds like a fun place to spend the spend a vacation on. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll allow the mind to boggle over what I might be doing over there. Yeah, leave leave it up. Let your imagination run wild. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing well too. I just got, got off the sling as of yesterday. I can go back into the sauna and start exercising again. So I'm feeling really good today with the endorphins running through. So. Um, a lot of exciting things for today, actually. Yeah, man, absolutely. We've got our first special guest. We have a cook in the building, or figuratively speaking. How you doing, <laughs> Cook? Uh, hey, guys, I'm good. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, nice one, man. Nice one, man. So as we were, we were kind of talking before this, we're, we're hoping to probe your brain all around ordinals, and then we'll touch on RWAs kind of towards the end, but for... For our all of handful of listeners out there um, that have heard our previous podcasts and stuff, it'll be really cool to kind of get an intro in, in who you are for maybe the few that don't know your name floating around on Twitter. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. who, are you? who are you, man? What do you do? Where do you come from? Tell us what you're yeah. willing to do without doxing yourself. <laughs> well, I'm actually I'm actually fully doxed. Like my uh, my pin post on Twitter is my driver's license, and oh, okay. I actually. Like when I put it up there, it's a funny tweet. You gotta go. I, I basically got my driver's license picture taken in Canada, renewed before I moved to Portugal, which I'll get to it. I'll go through my like story, but uh, I have a joint behind my ear. I forgot it was there. <laughs> it's it's yeah. like on my government ID, and so I was like, I have to tweet this. That's like when I doxed myself, basically. But I like scribbled over the eyes and then my name and like critical like address, like information on the driver's license, but. Cause I'm kind of an idiot and I didn't like look so closely at the license. There's like micro print of my name on the side beside the picture. That's like, so I've been docs forever, but uh, yeah, no, it's easy to find out who I am. So I, I don't mind about doxing myself. I won't say it. They can go click and find, but uh, okay. So who am I? I guess uh, I'm Canadian. I'm pretty old for the space, which is why I'll take you through like my journey, but uh, it's longer than most. I'm 38 and a half. And so I, uh, I spent about 15 years, well, no, I spent 15 years in uh, like the corporate world in Web2, specifically in like banking and asset management. So I, I went to business school. Uh, I graduated at, in 2007, like in the fall, no, well, in the spring. And then I started my career at Deloitte in the fall uh, in Canada on Bay Street. And basically I was just auditing like banks and asset managers and investment funds. I specialized in, in financials. And so that was like my first real job, right? And it was like the global financial crisis started like, you know, two months into my work. Oh, yeah. That's just like the worst possible time to be jumping into that. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it was by funny. Like, well, there's like a reason, like I'll tie it into like crypto, like and it'll make sense why I'm mentioning it. But yeah, like the backdrop of the first few years of my first few years of my career in finance was just like, the financial crisis and uh, people getting fired and like all these big U.S. Uh, institutions going under. Canada, like the sector was pretty much fine, but, the, you know, it led to like the sharpest decline in value, like in world history. 
And so, yeah, it was kind of a crazy time. And so the, the point of that is, so I worked at Deloitte for five years in Toronto, then I went to Australia, and then I went to Vancouver in Canada. And uh, I left there and I moved to RBC Global Asset Management, which is like one of the biggest asset managers in the world. Like, uh, they have like, I don't know the number within the last year because I quit last year, a little over a year ago. But uh, yeah, like, you know, 850 billion under management or something globally. Like it's a huge firm when you compare it to crypto numbers. But yeah, like the reason I mentioned the early stuff with uh, the global financial crisis is, and I'll start talking about crypto right now. But uh, yeah, I started to hear about Bitcoin maybe in like, I was always on the internet, like big gamer, like, you know, for 20 years, I was investing heavily in equities and it was like basically my number one hobby while working professionally in asset management, like dealing with a lot of equities. And so I would hear, and I was like investing on like the fringes of technology or trying to, without being like, I went to business school I'm not a super technical guy or a dev or anything, but I like that stuff and I try to understand it. So I heard about Bitcoin pretty early, like 20, I don't know, 11 or 12. And uh, I remember I was at work and I was finally going to buy a whole bunch of it on Mt. Gox, like, you know, the old rug site, Magic the Gathering. The Magic the Gathering marketplace, you know. Yeah, bro, most people don't know that. Even crypto people don't know that it was like the magic, it was a magic trading card marketplace, like hilarious. They repurposed it. But uh, so I was always poking around and when I looked at Bitcoin, I was like, okay, I don't think that human consensus will develop around the fact that this thing has value, but the technology behind this is going to change the world for sure. But I wasn't like, you know, I messed around a bit with Bitcoin, but I didn't like, I wasn't building a huge bag convinced it's the future. Whereas now I'm kind of, that's where I'm at and we'll get to that too. But uh, yeah, it was Ethereum was sort of like a game changer for me when I heard about that. And that was like late 2016, like I missed the ICO, but, uh, I liked it again. Like I'm not a dev, but I understood the grand vision for like, I don't know, a distributed digital economy of the future. Mm -hmm. so Smart like, contracts and the rest. Yeah. I mean, you could kind of, if you actually put the time into reading about it and like trying to think about it, you could understand maybe what it was supposed to mean. And I was like, again, I didn't think it was necessarily going to work, but I was like, I can't know about this. And then all these nerds get rich and I knew about it. Like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was literally it, man. And uh, yeah, I mean, I played around with Ethereum. I went through the whole like 2018 ICO boom. You know, I, I kept like ETH as my base and focus, but you know, I still got like wiped out, put everything on ETH. Like, and I, I was like, oh, okay, that didn't work failed experiment like not me i mean maybe eth in general crypto like all these icos just too crazy too many scams and so i kind of like just consolidated all my stuff to eth put put everything on a ledger and put it in my sock drawer and like the whole time i'm working at the bank and i did great like in asset management like i was reporting to the cfo or the coo like by the end in the last five years so I was like on the executive team, super young, like, but I just didn't, you know, like it was, I wasn't super interested. My interest in like TradFi was going down over time and my interest in crypto was going way up. Mm -hmm. And so, but I, but I forgot about it after the ICO thing, crypto cooled off for like, you know, three or four years and nobody cared about it. And I came back at the end of DeFi, honestly, I don't know if I, I'm sure you guys don't have like super strict censorship on this show, but it was because of Cumron. Mm -hmm. 
I guess <laughs> I remember hearing about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I had Twitter, like, you know, for since 2012, I think is when my account was created, but I didn't tweet or do anything. Like I just had it to follow equity news because like FinTwit's huge. It's bigger than crypto Twitter. And if you follow the right accounts with notifs on, you know, it's like having a Bloomberg terminal. So, I mean, you got to decipher a lot of like garbage, just like crypto, but I had Twitter to follow equity news, essentially. And like, yeah, I saw a joke about Cumrocket. I was like, holy shit, this can't be real. And I had all this ETH still. So I don't know, I got BNB, I had to get a trust wallet. I didn't do all this stuff, but I bought it and had like a 50X. And I was like, whoa, okay, crypto's fun again. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> that led me, but, but I still like, you know, with coins and stuff, I just bought that because I thought it would turn into a fun social meme. And like, I was lucky because I sold it like three days later at the top and then it kind of got destroyed like the rest of them. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a trader. Like, I don't like to trade. I like to make big investments. Like, you know, I kind of build conviction. I always did that in the equity world. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't like looking at charts. And in crypto, like the tail kind of wags the dog with charts and technicals because if enough people believe something and trade around it, it's true. So the thing's a giant video game and it's not the kind of game I like. But when when I heard about NFTs pretty early because I was kind of paying attention to crypto a bit because of the Come Rocket thing coming back and like then I was like, oh, this is fun and loosely monitoring it. The guy who showed me NFTs pretty early. And that's where it was sort of like a slow progression into just getting super interested in it and, and working at the bank, but like then getting completely absorbed in like the future of NFTs. And I don't mean like PFPs, I mean the technology, like art, culture, history, like the whole thing. Yeah, I can so, imagine it being like you're just working in the office and you're just getting these kind of moderate returns. And then on the side, you're doing all this crypto stuff and looking at all the tech and you have this thing where you're just naturally just way more engaged on the crypto side of things. Totally, man. And like, you know, I was working in, I wasn't like trading, like we were, we were an asset manager. So we were manufacturing investment products uh, that were distributed by the bank or like different areas of the bank. And so, but I worked in like on the COO's team, like it was basically like a strategy team. And so we were like coming up with ideas and things to do and buying other managers to grow and like doing due diligence and launching new products and like trying to find product market fit in different regions. And like, it was cool work, but like, here's something, okay. Passive Bitcoin and Ethereum ETFs have been legal in Canada. I probably shouldn't say that much of this, but they've been legal in Canada for like seven or eight years. And there's a couple managers that have launched them that are way smaller than the firm I used to work at. And, you know, we have all these resources, but you know, it's a web two bank run by boomers, Canadian, banking like as a sector is really really conservative as it is and that's why they did well in the financial crisis like you know nothing in canada went under um and the states got decimated and a lot of places around the world like financial institutions got decimated so they're very like risk off and conservative but you know with these things legal and i'm in a position to talk to the management team about this stuff and be like hey like you know we should start thinking about this and not even just as an investment how about just the blockchain technology as like underlying infrastructure in our operational processes. You can really simplify a lot of stuff and save money. And like, I don't expect them to do it, right? Because there's like an education process. That, it would take a long time. Like maybe it's 10 years at a bank that big. And some of them are thinking about it. You see it in the news already. SEC things going to happen on the investment side in the States. But 
Yeah, I mean, you couldn't even get conversations going. Like, they think it's all like crime and money laundering. And so it was just, it was okay. I still like the work and I still like the field, but over time I was getting disenfranchised. And then when I was, when I started to talk about crypto and just what I liked and NFTs and like kind of build out my thoughts like publicly on Twitter, even though 90% of the stuff I say is a joke, <laughs> like the other 10% isn't. And over time, people recognized it. And I was kind of like, okay, I could actually probably just work in the space if I wanted to. And then on the personal side, I was like, you know, I've been living in Canada a long time. Inflation's a little nuts. Like taxes are crazy. Housing prices are nuts. All I do with my time when I'm like not at the bank, I save up vacation time. I got a lot of it, but still not as much as I want. And I would just go on surf trips or like go do something cool. And so I'm like, well, if I work in crypto, I can live wherever I want. If I can live wherever I want, I wouldn't live here. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just basically quit the bank and moved to Portugal. And I got a visa. I'm actually a resident now. I started to all this last year. Wow. Did, did, oh, so you just did it while, uh, after the Portugal did their uh, kind of huge tax benefits for crypto people? Or if, so it was after no. that already came out? It's not really, a, a, it's not, I would say the tax benefit stuff doesn't really affect me. And they didn't, they actually removed some benefits in Portugal because mm. it used to be like gains on crypto weren't taxed, but now it's like under six months, 20% of it's taxed. But mm. my tax situation, because like I, I'm basically deriving an income in crypto because mm. I, I went from like working at the bank, also working in crypto at the same time. You picture like a line graph, one of them's going down, one of them's going up, both my interests and like what I'm spending my time doing. And I actually like moved to Portugal first, was still working at the bank remotely because it was kind of the tail end of COVID. Uh, then I quit the bank and then I was just doing nothing. Like I had to go back to Canada and like kind of wrap up my life there. I had places in both countries. And then I came back to Portugal to just be in Portugal. Uh, and then I eventually started working and I'm, I was like the COO of this NFT fund called Pine. That's where the real world asset side of stuff comes in. But yeah, I had like a really crazy year and a half. I hope that makes sense. But basically I had a long TradFi career, got super interested in NFTs got disenfranchised with TradFi and just wanted to kind of put my productive energy into like a space and sector I'm passionate about that I think I can actually also impact in some way. Yeah, I think that was definitely like a good opportunity that you basically took advantage of. I mean, I know that that's starting to happen a lot more than I'm starting to see is people just kind of wanted to have that, uh, especially after COVID, turning into that kind of more digital nomad life and crypto is 100% one of those areas where it could be very lucrative and then you, yeah, really can. And probably incentivize to move out of, you know, the standard US, EU type countries. It's funny. Like I wanted to do it for like at least 10 or 15 years because I was always working from client sites and like I worked off a laptop since I started my career very early. Like I was like, I mean, at the bank, I had a huge office, like really, really big overlooking Mm -hmm. like the park in Vancouver and the water and the mountains was crazy. Yeah, but then you have to suit up and you have to drive there. And it's like, might might as well do the same work in your PJs at home. (laughs) Oh, I hate it. And even from like an organizational perspective, like why the lease on that office alone was like 140 grand a year. Dude, Like, I don't even need to be there. You can repurpose the space. Like, you don't need it. There's just so many things, dude. And like, I just didn't want to work in that environment at all anymore. Like, I want to work on the computer and do crypto. I like it more. Right. And so that's the other thing. Like, if if you can live wherever you want, 
and do the things you want to do every day and still work and be productive. Like nine, 99% <laughs> humans aren't going to live where they're at. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And you can start doing some work at crazy hours at any time of the day, 24 seven, pretty much too. So you can even get good productivity boost. Totally. Yeah. But yeah, you mentioned a uh, pine, was it pine protocol? You said, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I'm not too familiar with I that. Actually, so would you be able to, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I can go, I can go over it. I mean, I actually just left like, well, I'm transitioning out my, my last day is August 4th. But uh, yeah, so it's, I'm really into like NFT fi and the further like technical application and development of NFTs as a technology, because it can actually do tons and tons of stuff, real world, everyday stuff, product stuff. Like I really think that NFTs will change the world. And so Pine was uh, an NFT fi protocol. So it was lending and borrowing on NFTs. Uh, it's on ETH and Poly. And so, yeah, what that means is you can use an NFT as collateral for a loan. But the cool thing about it is it's completely like permissionless and decentralized. And so it's just a protocol that facilitates lending and borrowing between willing lenders and willing borrowers. So like if you have an asset, I'll compare it to the real world, like Web 2 versus Web 3. You know, if you want to if you, if you have an asset and it's worth money, but you don't want to sell it, uh, maybe it's even a liquid. You want to get a loan against it, like maybe a house or a car. You have to go to a bank or like, you know, some other institution or like a pawn shop, even at the lowest level. Mm -hmm. if it's like a watch or like, you know, a ring or something. Right. You have to get some entity to like evaluate it and then put up their own capital and like all this stuff. Right. It's a bit of a process. And so like one of these NFT five protocols and what Pine was doing, it's kind of cool because if you have an asset, you can go to the protocol and you know you'll be connected with a lender in in one way or another like pine there's different infrastructures and way that these protocols are created but they're going to match up a lender and a borrower and you know facilitate a loan in crypto on you know the asset which is the nft and now right now nfts are popularly you know like pfps and cartoons so that's what you're seeing like people taking loans against their pfps but the longer term thing and like tying into the RWAs a bit is that, you know, if blockchain really is just a public, immutable, transparent ledger, like that's what it is. It's, it's like a revolution in human record keeping, but that's really powerful. And so NFTs are a way to mark individual things on the best record keeping system in human history. So once you have like a house or a car or a watch or anything else on chain, you can just go tap liquidity instantly. What about on the, lend the lender side? Like maybe you want exposure to something weird, like a Rolex watch, but how do you get that? You know, you can't just go find a guy. You're not, <laughs> you're not a pawn shop, you know? And so it like creates all these like crazy implications for credit and financing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause we just had an episode about uh, NFTs in general and all the use cases you can have and royalties being a form of income for it. But yeah, that's a, one of the secrets of the rich getting richer is they don't really sell all their stocks and whatnot. They generally just put their assets up uh, as collateral and take loans out and use those loans for, you know, revenue generation streams and or new investments. And yeah, it's well, it's credit markets are 10 times the size of equity markets worldwide. You know, only people only talk about equity markets, but like credit runs the world, man. Everything's financed. Think about like any city you're in, you see a bus or like a bridge or anything like this stuff's all finance, man. So 
yeah, the, the idea of marking something on chain, like on a blockchain, there's all these financialization implications of that that are, are pretty cool. And we'll, I don't know, it helps people, right? Incre- increasing transparency, decreasing costs, like removing trust. The idea is it's trustless. In addition to not having to deal with like a centralized entity, there's complete anonymity if you want it. And the fact it's trustless, you know, you can't get rubbed. Even now, you know, the bank that fronted you the money for your house goes under, you're losing the house. So, yeah, I could talk about this stuff all day. I think we're a little off track. Sorry. (laughs) It happens all the time. (laughs) It's all good. It's interesting stuff, definitely. How do you how do you think because we're, we're talking about this the, the trustless side of things when when assets start becoming real world assets start becoming um, kind of NFTs in a way and put on chain through the the tokenized asset offerings that we've spoken about before how do you think the world will combat people listing the same item multiple times the validation that the item is real or exists and not just a, a clever AI picture that's that's been listed there. Uh, what, what do you think some of the solutions are for that? Well, actually, it's a really good question. And it's one of the real, like, I won't say bear cases, but challenges that will have to be overcome to get, like, mass trust. Because I don't know, like, there's no answer aside from, like, some level of validation that it's in some way it has to be sort of centralized and trustless um, if you know, or, or sorry, involve trust. Because I guess what I'm saying is, like, in NFTs, there's fake listings and all kinds of games played all the time. Like I was just, uh, I saw a thread on somebody who's going into like board ape communities and trying to sell uh, some kind of a rare ape and saying he'll accept some bid and he's linking a marketplace link, but he's minted it in a different collection, but it, it's almost the same. You basically have to. So the point is, you know, there will be like fake NFTs and people trying to collateralize things that are fake or like duplicating things. But I think that like, yeah, there has to be some degree where you can remove trust. It's the best solution. But maybe we can walk through like an example of something that happened this way. So Arcade.xyz is an NFT5 protocol, like similar to Pine. And they did something pretty cool. I think think there's been a couple times this has happened now, a couple instances of this. But they allowed somebody collateralized and borrowed like a a significant amount of ETH against like two Rolex watches. And so to relate this to your question, it's like, okay, well, how does the lender know that this NFT represents a Rolex watch uh, and the one that they say it does? And that if this guy defaults on the loan, he's actually going to get the watch. That's kind of your question, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that would be always be my question and concern too, as a lender. And if I was like somebody evaluating this stuff from the outside, that's what I'd be worried about because this, like once you agree to the loan on chain, right? Like you can read what's going to happen and whatever, and you know, the terms and you know that it'll be settled on a trustless basis. And that's what everyone's saying is the powerful thing. Okay. But what if the NFT isn't like what it's supposed to be? Um, In this case, there was like a third party and I forget the name of it. But they like they provide a service that's like validating and storing in escrow like the real world assets. And I think even they issue that NFT. So there's like it's like a business, like a third party business. And I'm, I'm not saying it has to be the same guys in every case. I just know that this is what happened with the watch. And the guy had to go like give his watch to these guys. 
and then they hold it in a vault and they issue the NFT. So that's where I'm like, this part of it can't be totally trustless. We're like, that's not to me, right? Because you still have to trust these guys. And it's still like Web2 assurances, like, you know, they're audited or whatever it is. But, you know, what if the janitor breaks in and steals the watch like Ocean's Eleven or something, you know, or it's mm-hmm. not actually in there. Like there's been less crazy scams. So I totally get your concern. And also, I don't like I only know this arcade thing as like a guy who read a couple threads about it and was interested in. It. So there might be more to it, like to for rock solid validity. But that's my like, you know, how I understand it, what I think happened. I think I'm, I think I nailed it all. I don't think that I missed anything. But yeah, at some point right now, you got to trust some entity. Whereas if it's just a native digital NFT asset, you don't have to do that. You can, you know exactly which board ape this thing is. You know, you know, you know it's the real NFT. You know it's the right one, provided you you do due diligence, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. I think having an escrow service is is going to be key. And then it's just the scalability of that over the years to come will be the deciding factor on if this is kind of taken up by the rest of the world or not. Eventually you'll see like, I I mean, and there's too much stuff in the world right now, right? So it'll have to be like retroactively marked on chain where it makes sense. But I think you'll see things like, like NFTs will be a part of the creation of assets in the future you know what i mean like so that you won't have this like native nft asset creation like if you make a car and you buy a car you'll get like the official nft on chain from mercedes or whatever you know what i mean yeah absolutely it was something we, we touched upon last time where we were we were using um kind of trading cards as an example whereas the trading cards are printed they're physically minted as well so you could yeah. see who owns them, what wallet they're going to, and there's a QR code or something that adds them to your wallet or, or whatnot when you, you're, the, you're the owner. But that automation piece of um, kind of minting real-world items on onto chain is, is going to be key for mass adoption, that's for sure. Right, and the possibilities are kind of endless as far as, because I remember that episode we were talking about like even dinosaur bones, you know, houses, you know, cars. I mean, the possibilities of the use cases for RWAs would be kind of endless. I mean, I can imagine something like you buy a car from Mercedes and then they issue the NFT for it. And then now at, uh, let's take Tesla, for example, you could just scan your Tesla NFT to get into all the little lounges that they have all spread out throughout the world and the charging centers and whatnot. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's, it really is huge. And and I, I don't know, Cook, if you feel the same, but it feels like, the whole crypto space is coming full circle back to its original intent of determine, determining ownership of, of items and the whole audit and, and kind of validity of, of things. Um, I mean, that's what the original intent was, it right? And we saw the, the likes of VeChain coming out and working in China to build these um, the, this, this chain to to stop fake medicine and luxury goods and, and all of those sorts of things. So it's nice to see. And, and I think for the mass adoption, um, kind of seeing blockchain technologies as a technology rather than a means to make a quick buck um, once that shift happens and, and kind of the scales weigh in the favor of the technology, um, then we're all going to be in a, in a much better place. I mean, in, in my, my real job, I speak to software software people and technical experts all, all the time and, and are seeing a steady, a slow but steady increase in blockchain specialist roles coming up within the IT teams and, and bits and pieces as, as the financial firms are starting to look at how they can introduce the technology. Yeah, I think it'll be a slow adoption or, or I mean, I don't know, who am I to say it's slow, but uh, 
yeah, the pace of this thing will look like a hockey stick in terms of like traditional businesses exploring and adopting and like resourcing to reflect that. So that's cool to hear that you're saying that because I think it'll go that way and it'll only pick up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Unless the AI beats us to it and uh, then we're all doomed that's anyway. Yeah, yeah. And that's, probably probably, that's probably one of the bigger fears, right? <laughs> AI that can just make any NFT collection and just does all the Twittering and hyping and Discord server managing all by itself. Bro, half these guys are writing their Twitter with AI anyways. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can you speak more to that? I'm kind of curious about that, what it's like on the uh, the Twitter side of things, because I hardly ever use it, but I definitely know that a lot of people use AI, <laughs> like bots oh, to uh, do all that. I don't I do not do anything, but I ba- like I, I'm a boomer, man, so... I'm like slow to adopt AI. I don't really care about it. It's not really like the feel of my Twitter anyways. I just kind of type like stuff off the top of my head. But yeah, I mean, every single thread looks like it's done by AI now for sure in the NFT space. Yeah. Do people, you actually use AI tools just to straight up make their posts and whatnot? So like they're basically just, it's all automated. They don't even have to touch their Twitter and they're still posting all this stuff. Dude, there's like, there's a whole bunch of different like, AI companies, I'm using air quotes, but like, you know, guys that have done a front end that uses AI to make specific types of Twitter content. So you just go on there and you're like, you know, you put in your Twitter and the kind of content you want to make a couple words, like prompted, <clears throat> and it'll just give you a thread. Like it's wild. Absolutely. Yeah, so like I went on one like way back, like this was even like a year ago and just wanted to look at like what it would do because I heard there was an AI Twitter generator. And I'm like, there's no fucking way this thing can sound like me. And I went and like put in at Coup Capital LLC and uh, I think it gave me 20 tweets in like one second, like in a big grid. And uh, yeah, I don't know, like they all, the funniest thing was it, it talked like me. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Sounds like a shit your pants kind of moment. <laughs> Dude, and even, because there's a lot of specific stuff about the way, like I took all at like the hardware level, like in system settings, I took all, I guess it's the software level, but like I, I took uh, spell check, grammar, autocorrect, like everything off my phone because I didn't like it adding grammar and correcting words. And like, there's so much weird jargon in the space. Like I hate it at all. And so all my tweets are lowercase. Like there's a lot of spelling mistakes. I use a lot of weird short forms that like half of them I made up weird words and it kind of nailed all that. But like, you know, half the tweets just sounded weird as fuck, but it sounded like I wrote them and but they didn't really make sense. Like there was no context. And then, yeah, maybe like five of them were, were like close and five of them I could have like copy pasted and they weren't like amazing, but it was like, huh, what the fuck? Like, and that took one second, like, <laughs> and that was a year ago. Dang. That was your, your, your spy scales, uh, tweet one of those. No, that was, <laughs> I got it, this week, I guess. What is it? Friday? Is it Friday? No, it's Thursday. Yeah, dude. I don't know. I got Twitter sucks right now because everyone's trying to get money off Elon for getting 15 million impressions. And so everyone's just posting like copy paste from like Buzzfeed type accounts and replying to like celebrities and stuff trying to get impressions. But uh, no, I started to just copy and paste and steal stuff from like shitty influencer accounts like Shaq. And uh, no, the Spice Girls one was one of it because I'm like, these guys just post dumb pictures and ask a dumbass question. And so I just did a couple of dumb ones myself. 
No, it's not AI, man. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> it works. It works. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no bot to blame. That was just pure human stupidity just making it happen. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, so as far as the RWA space goes, how, what are some of the things that you see on your end that seem really exciting that you think are probably for sure, for sure going to be happening over the next year or two that gets you really fired up about this space? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that for me, the biggest use case of putting RWAs on chain, it always goes back to credit and financing because I guess like I came out of banks and that's the side of the space I've worked in. Um, but I think that like, yeah, the implications of decentralized finance, right? Like DeFi. Now you don't even have to go to a centralized exchange. You can exchange coins. You can send money anywhere in the world. Like you can on-ramp it, off-ramp it, and like do it all on a decentralized, private, like permissionless, anonymous way. So I think it's again like the extension from like blockchain technology to fungible tokens, which are coins. They represented money on chain, which like the blockchain itself is the huge advancement in technology. You put money type tokens on it. And then DeFi gets introduced and it introduces financialization and financial products and concepts to the coins that were already on chain. And then NFTs are created, which is the representation of a thing on chain. And so to me, like the next logical step is NFT fi which is the financialization of things on chain. And so I think the biggest implications of RWAs will be like, yeah, I mean, the first the first example and like the best example I have is that watch stuff with Arcade. And when there's a guy named Cirrus, he's like an influencer on Twitter, uh, pretty cool, like really good trader, smart guy. And he's an advisor for Arcade. And uh, he he posted about the watches. That's the first time I heard about them. And it got like 16,000 likes and like 9,000 retweets or like crazy numbers, like for the NFT space, especially right now. Like this was like a month ago, six weeks ago. And so I think it shows like this kind of concept. And I think it's something that will resonate with normal people, like when there's an education or an introduction process, but like a lot of people own a lot of stuff and tapping liquidity on your stuff might become a powerful and also dangerous concept, right? Like people love leverage and use it irresponsibly a lot, but uh, it, it doesn't have to always be that way. Like NFTs and NFT fi and RWAs will probably be used on mass at like a, an institutional level first that won't be revolutionary to normal people but uh yeah man i think it's just the implication the, the implications of financializing things on chain stuff like the rolex is on arcade you'll see it pick up mm -hmm. yeah so kind of like having like a web3 pawn shop almost like effectively speaking pretty much well that's at the lowest level mm-hmm yeah, like I said, for your like, average state person, yeah. Or financing. yeah, for your average person, it depends who you are. Like maybe you have a valuable thing, even like a MacBook. Like let's say, you know, you're, you have a MacBook and like it's worth three grand and, you know, you need a thousand dollars quick and maybe you get it that way. But if you're a lender, like, you know, maybe now you can, you can lend and get exposure. So you earn interest, like, and have pure exposure to one exotic asset that you want and you have no way to get exposure to other than go buy it. Like, you know, lend against a Rolex or maybe like a classic car or something like that. So it's cool on both sides. And I think like small 
focused use cases that go viral will like eventually something will catch like mass attention and it'll be talked about a lot. Right. Kind of like a, a Steve Aoki buying like a, you know, board a yacht club kind of thing. And then that's all over the news. He spent how many million dollars on this? And then suddenly everyone's just jumping into NFT space. Yeah, you can exactly. see that happening in the R with RWAs as well. Well, and it'll be something yeah. like this, this stuff. There's more substance. And I think that the real world will like understand maybe there'll still be haters and it'll be, yeah, you know, but like it, it's, a, it's a clearer advancement in technology. Like when Steve Aoki goes and spends $10 million or whatever it is on a cartoon, everyone's going to think that's crazy. And there's no way to tell someone it's not. And to be honest, it is. Mm-hmm. And like now they get to go back and laugh at it because he's down 99.9%. He'll never sell the thing. And like, but that, that can't happen where it's actually just like a really cool and serious technological advancement. And if it's explained right and people think about it like critically, they'll see it's the extension of like why people were saying blockchain was important in the first place. So like we're getting into like the real stuff and not just like the, you know, sensationalist cartoons for millions of dollars headlines. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like it had its nerdy gamer moment and degeneracy, but now it's like, all right, now, now we're getting serious. So we're, we're going for the big stuff now. Exactly. And you'll still see degeneracy and scams and all this other stuff and Omega, like, you know, about how do you know it's not fake and this and that. Oh, bro, this, <laughs> the smartest scammers in the world are in crypto. So the boys are going to figure out ways to get the scams into this, but it'll be exciting. But I, I, I think it's a maturation. And it will be maturity and like actual products and technological like implications that draw attention the next time, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, those implications themselves, I mean, just in terms of just the average person be able to diversify where they get their loans from, where they can invest in, like, I could think that I would just be like a crazy kind of good deal if you just have a chunk of money and you want a Rolex, but you don't want to actually just buy a normal one. You just go to some RWA exchange site where someone's trying to put it up uh, for a loan. And if that person defaults on their loan, then boom, you just got a Rolex for super, super cheap. Um, yeah, dude. And DGENs will do this. I, I just saw this on Twitter today, but like, this isn't RWAs, but you know, it's one step removed. It's fine art on chain. And so not real world art, but autoglyphs, audioglyphs. They're like one of the original art blocks collections. They're not as talked about as like Fidenzas, but I think the floor right now is like 200 ETH or 250 ETH. And so, you know, it's a good example of an illiquid asset that you don't want to trade. Like you don't want to sell it, but you own this thing and it's worth whatever it is. Like, you know, half a million bucks, 400 grand. And so it might be nice to tap liquidity on this thing. And so someone took, <laughs> someone took one of these things. I think it was to Arcade in April and borrowed some amount of ETH, 50 ETH uh, at, not even a crazy interest rate. I don't know, 7% APR or something. And uh, yeah, I guess today they didn't pay it back. And so the lender lent 50 ETH against an audio clip and uh, yeah, like collected it today. And it's worth 200 ETH. Jeez. And like, <laughs> wow. Bro, and, and like even, bro, like if you're the lender, I, I love lending against high quality assets in general because it's a good way to get a yield that's like out of the normal ways from DeFi. So, you know, you don't have to split into some LP pair. You get pure exposure to your like underlying base coin, like, you know, audio glyphs are traded in ETH. So you're lending only ETH and you're getting a return for that. And so even like that lender, there's no way he thinks there's going to be a default. 
But like, it seems like a pretty good asset to lend against. And he's going to get way more than he can get staking that ETH anywhere. So it's pretty cool. And then you get this like surprise Christmas present randomly where now you have a 200 ETH asset or whatever it is. And you got it for 50 ETH. Like, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I'll I mean, rip to, the, rip to the borrower, but like, that's just DJs, man. Like, at the lower level, you have the PFP loans on something like Sharky on Soul. And like that's a DJ game. It's the most DJ thing ever. It's hilarious. They nailed it. But yeah, it's funny. Like I, there's a guy who went to Dune and like put together a dashboard on my friends because he had this theory. We were lending a lot a few months ago, and he's like, "I guarantee you, defaults are higher on Sundays and Mondays mm. because DJs will get drunk and then forget about their loans." Yeah. <laughs> and then default. And guess what the data showed, dude? Like it wasn't even kind of true. Um, it was super, super true. Oh, just like a huge anomaly, like just undeniable. Like, yes, this is this is a thing. <laughs> it was a real thing. I swear. Wow. So that's that's good tips for when these things start coming out. I'm 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 excited with that concept. What about you, Omega? <laughs> but yeah, man, it's it's cool. I, I've played around in with with Sharky and and doing some lending and, and bits and pieces. I guess when you do it in the PFP market it's kind of a bit like a leverage bet because, yeah, they might default, but the PFP in that week could have dropped 100 times and you, you don't get very much at all. But, I mean, in the upper end and in the real-world assets, I think it's super exciting. I could definitely see myself going, okay, I'll buy part ownership of this Gucci handbag and this little bit of this car over here and you earn interest of the residual value and all, all of those sorts of things. It really, really does bring kind of global investments to the layman which i I think is the most exciting thing and then yeah you have the hedge fund managers and and bits and pieces able to to use it at the next next level right um you reminded me of a really good real world use case of rwas that i forgot about i know these guys who they own like a big art vault in dubai and sorry to just jump in but it's actually really cool you'll like it because you're talking about art they have like a $50 million portfolio of like super rare fine art, but it's street art. And so, but like, it's cool because I think they have like four Banksy's or something, but they have the actual walls. Like they have like, oh, they have walls. Dubai's taking walls from, from the UK and bringing it back. <laughs> well, they're, they're English guys. Yeah. They're like coupled and they, they run a big hedge fund and they're like huge fine art investors and like, but it's a real thing. I've talked to him a few times. And uh, the one guy is like the number, tied for number one expert on like Banksy in the world. There's like two guys and he's one of them. And uh, yeah, so they own these crazy things and they've been building this Banksy portfolio for like, I don't know, two decades or something. And uh, like they're marked by professional valuators. Like they're real. These things have real valuations. And so they have this plan to tokenize the real world assets and they'll stay in the vault in Dubai. But like, so this is something that a real person could never get exposure to. Like, no fucking chance, man. You need $15 million and you're going to go buy a wall or something. Or buy it off these guys in Dubai and get out of the vault. And I don't think they're selling And so, I mean, A, access to this kind of thing through tokenization is really cool. I mean, there's been tons of scams that say they're going to do this, right? But eventually someone gets serious and it could be these guys. Yeah, someone becomes a legit go-to people that are like, oh yeah, you can. everyone can trust these guys. Well, and I was on a space talking about this with them. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in the audience are like, 
oh, well, no one's going to buy it unless the art is fire and all this stuff. It's always like, you know, curve and yeah, But like, can I get a, a, own a piece of a, an actual Banksy, like literally the wall that it was like drawn on? Hell yeah, of course I'd want a piece of that. That'd be, that sounds amazing. <laughs> well, it's not like they're going to break it up, right? They're going yeah. to fractionalize ownership of it and sell it. And right away to me, it's very clear. Like now individual people have access to this guy who's like so mysterious. It's like, it's a top like fine modern art. It's like all legal. It's counterculture. Like it's so cool, right? People would buy this thing, mm-hmm. and you know for sure the sum of the parts will be worth way more than the whole. I.e., like when this thing's fractionalized and traded, and people can buy it, the open market price to like buy them all and put it back together is going to be like three x, four x, eventually ten x of you know what it would cost to buy the wall off these guys. So to me, it seems like such a no brainer. I still think people will fud it. Maybe it's not the right time, but yeah, there's all kinds of just like ways to add liquidity and provide access to things that were never possible before. Yeah. I guess you could have done web two. You're like, okay, you want to share in the banks, you vault trust or whatever like it, but it just seems like such a cleaner way if you can validate it on chain and like it's in a vault and like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And it's instant and you're not spending all this money on middlemen, just nickel diamond you every step of the way. <laughs> like, totally. Yeah. That's the other thing, right? Like removal of all that friction and opacity. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's so much here to get excited about. I know. I don't know about you, Omega, but for, I could I could keep talking to Coop for at least a couple more hours here. But I know we're going to 45 minute mark already. <laughs> yeah, man. We'll have to we'll have to get you back to do another extended edition. I don't think we've even touched on ordinals yet, have we? So, uh, oh yeah. We're still talking about ordinals. What are we doing another time? Yeah, I was actually way more pumped to talk about ordinals. So I'll have to do it again. Yeah, because um, I'm, I'm doing NFT fi on Bitcoin now. I, I just signed on as like a strategic advisor to the only NFT fi protocol on Bitcoin. And they're doing like native NFT fi on Bitcoin. It's really cool. Wow. Yeah, that's a whole thing we get easily because I definitely want to talk about that now too. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll have to get you on, a, on another time then, Coop, for sure. And we'll uh, have the ordinals and NFT fi on the ordinal space be, uh, be the, what we try to... F- try at least to focus on next time around yeah no that was really fun guys yeah no thanks thanks so if 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 any of our audience want to hit you up where can they find you um yeah twitter is the best i have a website but it's all everything's all linked from the twitter so it's like at kook capital llc I'm not a real LLC. I just made this name in 2012. So like, <laughs> no one needs to know. It's fine. <laughs> That's funny. Sounds official, man. Yeah. Oh, that good. Well, th- thanks for coming along. We look forward to to doing another one of these with you. Yeah. And, awesome. uh, yeah. yeah I appreciate great. having you on, man. Any uh, parting words for anyone uh, for our listeners made in, making it this far before we do oh, our man. outro? I don't know. Follow me on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening. If you got this far, all right, that sounds Excellent. great. <laughs> cool. Let's play that outro. We'll play the outro. Outro. You've been listening to Two Strangers One Empty Podcast. I've been your host, Case Rito. and Omega, and Coop, and we'll catch you all next week. <laughs>